Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. Our guest is a storyteller, the author of Operation Mom, My Plan to Get My Mother a Life and a Man, and is building a digital publishing platform, chapter by episode, based on stories with diverse themes, as well as creating and producing the Shadow Realm audio series. Welcome, the host of True Fiction Project, Renita Hora. Good morning, Renita. Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. Good morning, Jennifer. I am so happy to finally be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice. How's your weather today? I have to say it's terrible. <laughs> it's cloudy. <laughs> it's dismal. It's gray. Oh. Let's not complain about the weather. <laughs> where, where are you today? I'm in San Francisco. Yeah. We have 27 uh, degrees Celsius. I know you're Fahrenheit, which would probably be up in the, uh, the 70s, maybe even 80s. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. But, you know, it's good. We're, we've got flood warnings right now. Between now and the end of middle of July-ish, we yes. have so much rain. I'm living in a province that has emergency wildfire warnings. So we're currently, Alberta's been in a state of emergency for a little while due to our fires. Yes. So the flood warnings probably comes as a welcome sign then, right? <laughs> I mean, because does it think? Mean- yeah, yeah. I mean, every now and then the, uh, the rain actually hits the area that it needs, but it's not necessarily raining where we need the rain, if you know what I mean. I see. I see what you mean. Yes. We strategically position this. Mm, No. (laughs) See, this is why, I mean, there's so much need now for climate change solutions, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that means. And Cli-Fi is this relatively new form of fiction that has emerged now, just specifically climate stories. So it, it never used to be a thing a few years ago, and now there are publishing companies just focusing on cli-fi. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Are you writing any cli-fi yourself? I, I, okay, I have to say that I was not intentionally writing cli-fi, or at least I didn't think it was intentional. I am definitely in the process of writing a fantasy fiction series, and some of the demonic battles that feature are, are cli-fi oriented. Um, is that right? Yeah, because you know, this climate change is an antagonist, sort of, whether we choose to actively recognize it or not. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, everybody's got a different view of the matter, don't they? You, your audience, you attract your audience based on what you write. So, how, how are you finding that so far? Oh, such an interesting question. Um, <laughs> And the reason I say that, Jennifer, is because as an author, you're often told, stay in your lane, right? Mm-hmm. You write comedy, stay with comedy. You write chiclet, stay with chiclet. You know, don't go off and do something else, otherwise you're going to confuse your audience. And I get confused because I do hear things, you know, completely on the flip side saying, no, if you're, an, if you're a writer and you're a creator of stories and you're a storyteller, then explore this genre and that genre and bring it together or keep it apart. I mean, that's your right as a story creator and a storyteller. So um, I I admit that I do get a little bit confused, but 
it's interesting because I, so far at least, I feel that my audiences have followed and I have uh, my, my latest book, Operation Mom, My Plan to Get My Mom a Life and a Man is very much why a rom-com, a reviewer described it as more com than rom. I like that. <laughs> Um, so it's got a very strong sort of female rom-com kind of following and the fantasy fiction series I was just talking about is fantasy, but it's also YA, but it's also comedic. I wouldn't say it's comedy first, but it's comedic in its tone. So the following Mm -hmm. does carry through and that, that story is out, not as a book, but it's out as a podcast. So there are different ways that sort of I exploit the IP, if you will, or bring yeah, yeah. audiences, and and there is definitely overlap. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how audiences work. <laughs> and I I find that telling people to stay in their lane um, is very much a a corporate view or a more of a you know the publisher's view on. <laughs> how to make it easier for us to market you. Yeah. Uh, But then two publishers don't do the marketing anymore for the most part. So, uh, you know, are you self-published or did you have a publisher? I have published, I have a publisher. I have publishers in plural, partly because it worked out that way. And partly because it probably worked out that way because I have been exploring that very thing that you mentioned. Is it more worth my while to have publishers or to self-publish? I came at this career of being an author being totally naive, if I'm going to be perfectly honest about it, right? I didn't know the first thing about anything. I thought, okay, you've got to have a decent publisher. You've got to have an agent. If you don't have an agent, at the very least, you've got to have a decent publisher, So I didn't ever have the confidence to even think about Mm, self-publishing. And I have been traditionally published by very good brand name publishers. And then I've also been published more recently by indie publishers. Mm. Uh, There are pluses and minuses to everything in life. (laughs) Yeah. You are spot on in that nobody's going to do the marketing for you. So you have to do that yourself, mm-hmm. which then begs the question as to why did I go with a publisher if I actually have to do all the work myself rather than just self-publish, you know? There is the thought that yeah. if you're published by a publisher, your material has been read and reviewed and selected for publishing and therefore it bodes some credibility there are there are a lot of people that still feel that way um having having worked myself with everybody in the sense of um you know doing an ear uh interview and putting out marketing material and, and whatnot i don't necessarily believe in that you know, because I, I'm very familiar with so indie writers that are just phenomenal writers. But then mm-hmm. you do have indie writers that are not great writers and nobody would publish them, to be honest. I mean, if they got a piece of their work, there are some writers that they would never have anybody publish them because it just doesn't have the quality. Yeah. You know, so there's there's the belief that if you actually have a publisher take on your material and publish it, elect to publish it. 
you know, then it's a higher quality. I can see that. And maybe that's sort of a, a fair test. Maybe I, as an author, I have not had the confidence to say, to, to go out and self-publish, even though I, I would never just, just go, you know, I, I would put together the team of editors and, you know, everything it takes to get to a book to that level, because it does take that work. It's not like, oh, here, you know, I just spat out some words and here we go. <laughs> I'd love that, but <laughs> that's realistically not the case. Oh, um, a group that, um, you know, do they do a book in, a, what, 24 hours, 48 hours, and they, you can design your own cover and you can be your own editor. And there, there is that. There is that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a long-winded answer to your question. I have been both traditionally published and uh, more recently with an indie publisher. To Operation Mom. To get my mom a life and a man. Basically, a daughter and her friends on this on this journey to to help out mom hey correct correct yeah. it's not a self-help book even though the title <laughs> may. a lot of people have asked me oh is this is this the uh, you know diy and i'm like well you could treat it as that if you like but no it isn't <laughs> it's, it's definitely fiction and you're right it's about a 17 year old girl in contemporary mumbai who wants to get her annoying controlling single mother off her back so she decides that the way to do that is to get her laid through the dating apps. <laughs> and um, this idea, this mission that she embarks on, she calls Operation Mom. And she does it, you know, sort of aided and abetted by her floozy best friend. Floozy. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> Hi, we're going to have to put an explicit on this interview. Uh, mom is not going back to dad and no, there's no benefits. <laughs> yes, correct. Correct. All, all of the above. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, wow. It's won a slew of awards. I think yeah. four different awards. And another one just recently. Another one just recently. One, one that I just learned about that I think will be announced this week or next week <laughs> publicly. Oh. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So that feels good, of course. Oh, you have a lot of experience in media. You're also a founder of uh, executive level content operations and marketing leader. Yeah, you're right. Writing is not everything I do, but content creation encompasses everything I do. At some level or the other, it involves writing. Writing a story, developing a story, storytelling is everything I, I do. I have for many, many years had different sort of jobs in a career path that is about storytelling. So for many years, I was a journalist. Mm. Uh, journalist for public radio. I was a journalist for, you know, commercial radio, Bloomberg, specifically right. financial news, which is a very, very specific kind of storytelling, but storytelling nevertheless. So in my career as a journalist, uh, I was mostly a broadcast journalist, but not entirely. I've also written for various print publications across the board in Asia, in the US, etc. All of that involves storytelling. Wow. I've also worked in the media, not as a journalist, but for content companies such as 
Cartoon Network Asia is one that comes to mind, right? Mm -hmm. Where I have been a combination of either a script writer, a script doctor, editor, or some combination thereof, which again has involved story creation, storytelling, story editing, you name it. Not necessarily my own stories, but definitely, you know, integral to the story development process. For many, many years working in the media, my, my experience has become very honed in how to tell a story, what stories need to be told, how do you sort of command audiences or develop audiences or, you know, segment audiences for different stories, whatever the case might be. That led me to a bit of a different path. I was living in Asia once I got back to the U.S., to sort of go into the tech world initially and then the nonprofit world after that. But again, my role being in the area of media and storytelling. The tech world, I worked for a company uh, which started off being called Auto Radio. From there, it became known as High Books. From there, it became known as Himalaya USA, a series of name changes, but the same company, essentially, uh, where I was VP of content. And my whole role was, what is the content that needs to be created? And what is the storytelling strategy? It was an audio tech company. It's advent sort of in the early days of podcasting, if you will. So podcasting, development, discovery, etc., and from there, I went to work for a nonprofit, SRI International. Mm -hmm. uh, SRI is Stanford Research Institute, so totally different kind of entity, a science research institute. But the beauty here was this was a research institute that has invented at least six out of the 10 things that you touch every day, from the internet to the computer mouse to... Um, so many subtle scientific inventions that we use in our tech life that we don't even think of as a tech life. It's just our life. <laughs> take for granted. Exactly. Take for granted. And what was amazing about it were that this they had about 1,200, 1,400 different scientists, amazing inventors completely inarticulate about their inventions. So a whole plethora of story to dig into and bring out to the surface. I was head of communications and marketing. So my role and title was very different to the storyteller at large or, or something like that. But essentially, that's what I was. And, and my department uh, was all about how do you, in the guise of communications and marketing for this nonprofit, bring its stories to the public. So Did you find there was a lot you had to go into with regards to origin stories of the individual inventors? Yes, indeed. But ultimately, the stories about a particular kind of technology mm that needs to be applied in applied, you know, so you start out with basic research, applied research, develop a product, sell or productize the research to develop that product or service, usually a product in most cases, and then sell it. That which needs to ultimately be sold is not a story about the inventor. No, no, we end up with uh, a brand story. 
person an Correct. actual personal personal brand it's an actual commercial brand yeah absolutely but yeah. your point in the applied research process you do have to delve into origin story to find out sort of w- what was the need in mm-hmm. the first place or what was the inventor doing that sort of you know just got to this place initially that then led to applied research that then led to a product so there there is some aspect yeah. of origin story it doesn't always translate all the way through the why that sparked the idea to invent yeah exactly exactly yeah. So how has all of this helped you now um, with what you're doing currently? Yeah, it's it's helped me, oh my gosh, in in a lot of ways, because uh, firstly, storytelling is a process. (laughs) And whether it's nonfiction or fiction, a story is a story which has to have a beginning, middle, end. It's got to make sense. It can't just be oh, here's me and my ideas brainstorming and, you know, what if we could, you know, that's all very nice. But for me to bring a story to you, the audience, whether that is audio, whether that is in print, whether that is through TV, film, whatever it might be, there has to be a succinct story which has been developed with a solid beginning, middle, end, compelling, definitely a structure, whether that's a journey, save the cat. And that applies to nonfiction and fiction. So my life in the non-fictional world and the fictional world has definitely helped me get to where I am right now. So in terms of structure and development, that's one thing. The other thing is with all of my experience in the non-fiction world, journalism, marketing, you know, what have you, it has also helped me understand that where I am at this age and stage of life, I actually want to focus on fiction. (laughs) I've done a lot of nonfiction along the way. It's, it's wonderful. It's fun. It's educational. It's informative, but it's also helped me realize that I really, really do want to focus on my fiction. There are some projects which I'm still involved in, which are very much still part of my daily bread, if you will, that involve both such as my podcast, the True Fiction Project, which really is an exploration of how story evolves from nonfiction to fiction, how fiction comes out of our nonfiction lives, how we go from unscripted to scripted. Because essentially what I do with this particular podcast is I will interview you because I think you've got a great story. Then I've got Mm -hmm. a roster of fiction writers one of whom will listen to that interview and then create a fictional piece based upon that audio interview. And I say piece because that could be a short story in and unto itself. It could be a scene. It could be a monologue. It could be anything that's up, that's left up to the fiction writer. Mm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yes. How has it helped me get here? A a plethora of ways. (laughs) And in, in day-to-day marketing of a book, I can see how, you know, it would be helpful in creating your own audience because, you you know, you're diving into your own, mind you, it might be hard to dive into your own story. Absolutely. I think with all of us, whoever we are, whatever we do, when it comes to your own projects and your own story, that that's, that's the most difficult. You know, that's when you suddenly say, oh, how do I do this? <laughs> and we all, I mean, as much as we like... 
They say, ask somebody a question when you're getting to know them, because we all like to talk about ourselves. But, you know, to be honest, I, I'm not really fond of talking about myself or, or marketing my own things uh, or coming up with a story for my, my own products and services, but I'm happy to do it for others. Yes. I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. It's, I, I don't know what it is about the universe Jennifer, but when it comes to somebody else's story, it's you can see it very as a writer, consultant, storyteller, you can see it very clearly. Okay, here's the story. Here's how we break it down, how we dissect it. Here's how it unfolds, how we need to market it, how the you tap into a certain audience, you build a certain audience. It's, it seems so clear cut when it's somebody else's product service story. Yeah. But when it's your own, it's like, oh my gosh, where do I begin? I'm confused. There's this aspect. There's that aspect. There's this audience. There's that audience. Do I focus on this kind of audience? Do I go there? It's uh, It all of a sudden becomes this befuddled mess. Sometimes you're too attached to filter. Like you filter and segment, right? And when you want to market, you filter and segment until you get to the piece that you want to, you know, focus on and when you're so attached to all of it, it, it we have too much information, Absolutely. really, for yeah. for ourselves. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it becomes more difficult to hone into that exact information that you need, just yeah. to focus on this aspect of the story. Yes. Yeah, there's there's too many bees to get to the queen, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and all that stuff buzzing around. This episode is sponsored by Visibility Podcasts. Connect with Visibility Pod about visibility strategy coaching, podcast tours, podcast production, platform building, content creation, and distribution. Your online presence matters. Mention this author interview to receive a discount. Get the help you need today. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. That's V-I-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. So what got you started in writing? So at some level, I have been writing all my life. Just uh, from the time I was a child, published stories in children's publications, things like that. So I was always interested. And I do remember, as you actually asked me that question, I remember a day, I must have been about 10 years old, and I grew up in India. My mother was very superstitious. So she would have these soothsayers come along to sort of predict our future, the future of her kids and, you know, how her husband's business was doing. And, you know, there'd always be these guys showing up to predict the future. And it was always interesting because they'd always, always have a different take on things, you know. And she was very worried about sort of, you know, her sons and will they get married to the right person. I mean, it's a very Indian thing on one hand, but I remember one of these guys, um, you know, sitting in the room and my mother with my mother and she calls me in and there's this guy and he, and he says, he asked me, he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? <laughs> and, and I didn't know he was a soothsayer or maybe I knew and I hadn't sort of, you know, made sense of it, but I told him very clearly that I'm going to be a writer of books. And like I said, I must have been about 10 years old or thereabouts. And he looks at some sort of mathematical, astrological calculation he's done. And he says to her, she is going to be a writer of books. 
And my mother is very skeptical and she's looking at him and said, oh, she's been, how do you know? Or what, why does that make sense? Or it doesn't sound very profitable. She's the wife of a businessman. So, you know, writer of books, like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> right. And he said, no, no, no. She's very clearly going to be a writer of books. So it's kind of a very early memory I have. But the reason I mention it is, again, not to delve into superstition, but as my career as a writer has evolved over many, many years, 52 at this point, or, oh. you know, maybe slightly less than that. I was 42, considering I was 10 thereabouts. I just go back to that memory again and again and again, thinking, huh, did I know this at some psychological level? I don't know. I grew up in Mumbai. And I left as a young adult to come to the U.S. under some kind of duress would be the right word. Mm. Duress, not because I was forced to go to the U.S., but rather the opposite. I, I had this very northern Indian life, which was uncharacteristic even of growing up as a teenager or, or, or as a young adult or as a, as a kid, I should say, in Mumbai, which was fairly progressive. Mumbai is kind of like New York City, where a lot of the population is immigrants from other parts of India. You know, they okay. come there to sort of establish their lives, careers, build businesses, whatever it might be, you know. So they're immigrants from else, elsewhere in India. And our family was pretty conservative, still is, I would say, just in terms of thinking. And there was not a lot of room for a girl, a female, to do much. <laughs> Okay, find a husband. Yeah, exactly. That was the preordained path was like, find a husband, get married. And sort of that is your future. And I was not having any of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, you know, I, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> uh, so when I say under duress, it was this self-inflicted duress that I have to escape and I have to go to the furthest possible place yeah, geographically and values wise or what I'm allowed to do, you know, in this Northern Indian conservative family. So the U.S. was the only answer. It was just like this unknown deviled land. And oh, my gosh, the further west you go, the more out of touch with reality you are. These were the things that I was being told at home. Is so I was like, right? oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. So, so I said, all right, well, then in that case, that's where I'm headed. <laughs> And I made it happen. I don't know how, even today when I think about it, I literally had to escape. And I successfully managed to do that, to gather the finances, to escape. And I, I came here for college against my father's will. I got a scholarship. I applied for a scholarship. And I said to the colleges that, uh, you know, if, if I don't get the scholarship, there's no way I can come. And so the universe worked in my favor. It happened. And I never went back. In my early years after college, I, I started out working for an advertising agency, which is storytelling in one way, shape or form, and then very quickly became an entrepreneur in Ayurveda. I was became qualified in Ayurveda, which I did. So, so I kind of have two degrees, if you will. <laughs> you know, I, I have a, a Bachelor of Arts degree from the US and then I have an Ayurvedic degree from India, which I also began to pursue at the tail end of my US college career. The reason was to form a business. I was 
very clearly never going to practice as an Ayurvedic doctor outside of India, at least in the traditional way that, you know, Ayurvedic doctors do it. It had, you know, it was very clear that it, my journey was not going to be that, but I did want to establish an Ayurvedic company mm-hmm. and sort of be an ambassador of Ayurveda to the world, which again, if you look at it very clearly is storytelling this ancient Indian health and wellness Mm-hmm. That sort of led me, and I'm just putting all of this in a nutshell, sort of not going into all of the details, to writing first one, then two, and then eventually four, three and four books about Ayurveda, teaching Ayurveda to the West through elective programs in medical schools and then workshops, etc. So again, storytelling this very Indian story about, you know, ancient wellness. One thing leads to another and I become a writer of books. <laughs> Although that is definitely not at all profitable as compared to running a business, I discover it's actually what I like to do. It wasn't until after I had written five nonfiction books, most of them about Ayurveda, not all, but most of them about Ayurveda, that I first delved into fiction. It wasn't as if I hadn't started writing my fiction while all of this was happening. I had, actually. It's just that, you know, it took years before uh, the first work of fiction got published as a fiction book. (laughs) Even while I was writing my nonfiction, I was involved in writing groups, fictional writing groups, fictional development groups, things were happening sort of side by side, but not sort of front and center or not visible to, you know, everybody front and center, I should say, at the same time. And then like many fiction writers, you know, I I couldn't justify being just a fiction writer. You know, that would happen as a side gig in addition to sort of working a full day job or and or raising kids and putting dinner on the table for the family, you know, the, the other things that were sort of front and center in my life. For the many priorities actually, hey? Yes, exactly. Exactly. For many, many, many years. So, you know, if I w- would meet people and I did meet writers who were a hundred percent spending their day writing, I thought, my gosh, what a luxury that is, <laughs> you know. It's ironic because come the day, maybe two years ago, mid-pandemic, that I actually decide to leave the corporate world. My last job was with SRI International, the, the nonprofit that I was talking about. So I decided to leave the corporate world because I'm also at this crossroads where my kids are adults, so-called, whatever that means, <laughs> moving out of the house to go to college, that kind of thing. And I don't have to sort of put uh, dinner on the table for a full-fledged family on a daily basis anymore. I actually now make the decision to spend my day full-time on my IP, whether that is my books, my screenplays, my podcasts, some combination thereof. Essentially, I'm becoming a full-time writer and I am scared out of my mind. (laughs) <laughs> and now when you say IP, let's just clarify that. You mean intellectual property. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. My my own intellectual property yeah. rather than storytelling other people's stories. <laughs> right. And creating their yeah. property, exactly. <laughs> which they keep. 
Exactly. <laughs> I, I have always found it fascinating how somebody else creates the property someone else keeps. You know, it's like, well, I actually created that. <laughs> you know, how is that not mine? <laughs> exactly. But it was very, very scary because you go from this, you know, steady paycheck that comes in, you know, the corporate life to, wow, I have to make money off my writing, whatever, you know, writing screenplays, writing books, uh, writing my podcasts, and there's no guarantee. No guarantee. No. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's done well for you in the last two years. And that that is not as scary as it was. It's definitely not as scary as it was. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled because my work has garnered audiences. I've got great reviews and you can only see that when they give reviews. So, you know, like any writer will say audience reviews are everything because that's that's the only thing that tells us how somebody else liked or did not like, you know, whatever the case may be, our work, right? That and the fact that my books and screenplays have gone on to win awards. Because that is also a different kind of review, but an, an accolade that comes from, you know, somebody else. It's, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. well, but credibility, it, for sure. yes. credibility, validation. It's interesting because, you know, you'll have people in your friends and family circle who, you know, if you post something, let's say on social media about an award or a review, you know, they'll say, congratulations. And that's wonderful. But for a writer, for a storyteller, I should say, better than congratulations is go out, buy that book, read the book, give me a review. It can be on Amazon, it can be on Barnes and Nobles, or it can be, you know, on, you know, those are the usual, uh, it could be on my website, anything, because that's what actually makes the difference to my sales, to the algorithm on Amazon that, you know, leads to further sales, you know, that's what really counts as support rather than congratulations. This is a point of discussion that I've had with other authors is that, you know, you look on social media and there are these vanity posts, which are, oh, you know, I won this award and a list of 110 congratulations, which really feed the ego, but do nothing more than that. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and yeah, the ego doesn't feed us literally. So that's, you definitely need the, um, the sales. Exactly. Exactly. So friends, family, anyone out there, you know, if you're, if you're watching this more than congratulations, it's the review on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever, it, that's, what's going to count because that's going to, work towards hopefully helping me build just one more book sale, which means everything. <laughs> yeah. Or even Goodreads, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the yeah. specific, uh, the book buying platform, but Goodreads as well. I mean, Goodreads, fantastic. there's all kinds of other places to leave reviews, you know, leave a review, do your own review on social media and share the link. <laughs> to the website, you know, uh, take a picture of yourself with the book and, and, and share what you thought and those wonderful, and the award, you know, oh, my friend, she won an award, you got to read her book, and I read her book, and I thought this, here's the link, you know, so, you know, those things are all wonderful. Absolutely, I mean, there are, 
it's interesting that you mentioned this, Jennifer, because there have been reviewers out there who ask for a copy of the physical book mm -hmm. because they want to do exactly that. They want to take a picture with it and say to their audiences on their social media handles or whatever, they're using, this is the book I read <clears throat> that I loved because of reason X, Y, Z. And therefore, I'm telling you, my audience, that you should go out and read it. And that I will willingly, you know, send those review copies out because it really makes a difference when somebody else is standing there in the frame taking a picture of themselves with my book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it is an added expense, uh, you know, for a, and then for a writer that maybe is just a first time writer, it is a little harder uh, you know, to, to get the physical copies out and, and the shipping and, and whatever else, you know, but they, as long as you do have someone dedicated enough that is going to put the work into doing that sort of a review, it makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. yeah. I know. I always love getting them in the mail. There, there are, there are definitely our favorites. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we're all sort of, you know, guilty of sort of collecting these books and, you know, putting them on these shelves. I'm not sitting in my library today, but uh, that's it. It's just lined with books. So if all the libraries fail, you know, those wildfires get to those libraries, we'll still have our own independent libraries. You know? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, there's still print on demand, right? <laughs> there, you there you go. I don't, to your point, I don't think there is any such thing as a book ever being out of print again. I think that... Um, that problem has gone now because of print on demand, you know. Well, yeah, that actually just spoken to a gentleman who has a couple of books. One was an animation book, actually. He captured a bunch of what Disney had done. And he, I don't probably hook you up with him privately. But anyway, his is out of print because it was a coffee table book and it was printed back in the 1980s, 1990s. And he never did put it on a service like print on demand. And I says, well, you know, we can always bring it back to life. Yes. You know? Like now the opportunity exists that you know, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I want to encourage um, listeners to go to your website, renita.com. So R-E-E-N-I-T-A.com and, and check that out more. Get a copy of your book. Also, you know, you're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, like I'm pretty sure you probably have Pinterest too. It's just not on the one sheet. <laughs> it's not on the one sheet. And, uh, but I do have Pinterest as well. <laughs> yeah. so I love it because it's not very often um, I connect with an author who, who has got their social channels as, as built as you have. And you have your own podcast, which is fascinating too. So there's all kinds of ways to check you out. And to get to know you a little better, is there anything specifically you'd like to leave with listeners today? Only this, that, you know, story really can be fleshed out in so many different ways. And story is very much part of our daily lives, as I was saying earlier. The reason I say this is because there's not one specific medium which is ideal for a kind of story. Sometimes it's more visual. Sometimes it's more audio. Sometimes it's more print. And 
This is a process of discovery that I am discovering, have discovered and continue to discover along the way, which is why I honestly believe that as a storyteller, I need to feed all of these mediums. So if you do go to my website, you will see that I have about eight different books um, that I can offer you today. I've got a couple more in the works, which are not even on the website yet, but will show up hopefully in the next few months, <laughs> sometime yeah. Of this year as, as they get closer to being published. My podcasts, I've got a couple of them. The True Fiction Project comes out every other week. Shadow Realm, which is my narrative fiction podcast. Season two will be launched later this year, probably in the fall. Uh, and then my screenplays. I've got two screenplays that are award-winning. One is Shadow Realm, also based upon the same narrative fiction series, which is a podcast, and one is based upon Operation Mom, the book that we were talking about earlier. Both of those are up for sale, so if there's anyone interested, by the way, in film or TV rights, let me know. There is interest in, and I'm actively working on, you know, getting those produced into a visual form. So there is a little something for everyone based upon the kind of format or the kind of medium that you like to receive or consume stories in. When it comes to my readers, and I must mention this, is I have a very active email program because oh. if you liked a certain book of mine, for example, if you like Operation Mom, it doesn't stop when the book ends. I'm always developing bonus content bonus chapters, things like that, which I offer specifically to my readers through my email program. For example, on Mother's Day, Operation Mom, bonus content, conversations and episodes between the characters and the protagonists, which my readers have grown to know and love through the book. Let's say a continuation offered to them specifically through my email program. So if you're interested in that, please do visit, please do sign up. It's on the front page of my website. And I would be happy to sort of include you in the family to offer you more because, you know, you like it already. <laughs> Very nice. And you also have a YouTube channel. So that's fantastic as well. Yeah, definitely. Check out Renita. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you, Jennifer. It has been such a pleasure to be on your show. I have so enjoyed the conversation. and I can't wait for your audiences to explore my stories. Oh, me too. I definitely want to share more of you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. Thanks so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And we always love reviews. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast.